he really got me. You know, I think it's because he was gay. Got the nuances more. get me a gay mickey gotta get a gay well hello and welcome to another episode of in the details a celebration of nuance where each week i queen out on all of the acting choices micro moments and magic in the minutiae that make a scene great my name is colin drucker your name is a pleasant combination of consonants and vowels and today we have a whole grab bag of fun things to talk about but first things first hello how are you uh, how are things going? I, I, I don't know why I ask you questions if I can't get answers, but uh, I just want you to know I'm interested. I, uh, I, I know I, I kind of missed a week. I, actually, I literally missed a week. Um, I didn't miss it. I could have happened. I was traveling, and I, you know, I was like, oh, I could totally do it. And I was like thinking through, oh, when I could record, and I had the idea of what I was going to talk about. And it just didn't, um, it just didn't gel, you know. I, it just didn't happen. And I just said, well, it's fine. It's not a big deal. Uh, no one's going to come after you with pitchforks and torches and whatever else people come after podcasters who don't post an episode every week. Um, you might not even be even tracking that. You, I, I don't know. I have no idea. In any event, I was traveling. I had gone to Houston for my mom's birthday. Happy birthday, mom, if you're listening. So that was like over the weekend, and uh, I was just there for a few days, and it's always good to get out of New York and just kind of remember that there is the rest of the world. Like, this is such a... This is such a, a bubble. I feel like maybe everyone who lives in New York talks about this, but it really is. I think it's like New York is kind of like a casino. It's just like really hard to get out of New York. It's really hard to find the exit. It's like it's just such a production, it seems. Um, and so it's just like, oh, screw it. I'll just stay. And so uh, anyway, while I was uh, while I was in Houston seeing my family, I, uh, I'm not from Houston. I'm from New Jersey, and you can probably tell that from – uh, the fact that I sound like someone from New Jersey and not someone from Houston. Uh, but my mom had reminded me, uh, I don't know what we were talking about. Maybe we were talking about in the details, but she had reminded me of when I was a kid doing these like movie nights with my uh, my neighbor friend, Caitlin. And it was like every Friday, maybe Saturday, typically Friday, we would, and we were like, I think I was probably like 12 when we started doing this. I don't know, around that age. And she was like, couple years younger uh and like every weekend we would go you know one of our parents would take us to blockbuster video or easy video or hollywood video or whichever one of the like four or five in the in the in the radius around where we lived and we would just kind of go hunting in the horror movie aisle for like you know probably i think it was three i think we always did three movies i think there were some attempts at like parental um supervision of this and then i think after a while there wasn't and and i have no problem with that you know like i'm i'm glad that i got to kind of rent whatever i wanted and it's not like we were walking out of there with like shannon tweed thrillers like i mean we weren't like we weren't like abusing this privilege you know um but it was just more the fact that like we we got to kind of just listen to what what kind of parts of us like got excited by something you know like we were so we were so like uh neurotic about it 
we were very specific about like what era the movie was made in. We didn't really want to watch anything like before like the 1970s and we didn't didn't want to see anything after like 1989 because we just had this general perception that like anything made before the 70s was going to be kind of like restrained and a little boring and wasn't going to be kind of as like they wouldn't be allowed to show as much, you know what I mean? We wouldn't be able to like see as much exciting things happen. And then in terms of the movies we wanted to watch, I mean, one of the things like that was a uh, a non-negotiable for me was like there had to be a girl in it and she had to survive and truth be told i probably still use that when i when i like am looking for a movie and i don't even think about it anymore i just that's that's the requirement and i think i I don't there's probably a whole bunch of reasons as to why that is um but i like i wouldn't be interested in Here's a here's a perfect example. Um, there's a movie, it's a 1981 slasher called The Burning, and it's you know your typical counselors at a camp, you know, getting butchered by you know some guy with uh, I don't know, I guess he has a, a whole variety of of uh, tools of of torture. But I think there's these like gardening shears that are kind of his like um, I don't know his weapon of choice. I don't remember. Technically, like at the climax of the movie, the the character who's kind of facing off with the killer at the end and is getting chased through the woods and all that is a guy and not a girl. And the so, sort of final girl in the movie, like she has this. There's this whole scene where she um, she sees this whole raft of like kids and she like swims up to it and then she finds they're all like they've all been butchered. Um, not kids i guess they were like teenagers anyway i'm just trying to not make it sound like i was like oh yeah and she swam up and all these seven-year-olds were decapitated i wasn't like into that it's this whole infamous sequence if you're into slasher movies of of her swimming up to the raft and thinking that they're all just like lazing in the sun and then like she grabs somebody's arm and it like obviously just comes off in her hands and uh but anyway that wasn't the end of the movie and she doesn't die you know so it's great but uh she doesn't get the big climactic finale and so I never was like super interested in that movie because of that. And I I don't know. I mean, I think I think there was something about the the sort of idea of the final girl, you know, and uh I guess feeling that she was vulnerable or feeling that she was um somebody who seemed unlikely to save the day or to survive the situation and that like that delta between this person's ability to survive and then her actually surviving, I think was, I think I drew a lot from that. Like what, what happens? Like, how do you do that? How do you figure out how to get through this when you're just like some nerdy virginal girl and all your friends are off, you know, uh, smoking pot and drinking, getting laid and getting killed, you know, which is usually what happens in these movies. And I don't know, I guess maybe as a kid, I, I identified with the, I identified with the more vulnerable character. Maybe I I was a very sensitive kid, so maybe I just identified with that. Um, that being said, I, I love like I love Alien. I love that Ripley is like really tough, and I love that she's not some vulnerable woman. I think she is in a way in the first Alien, but then by like Aliens, which I love as well. She's you know she's great. You know what I mean? Like she's uh, she's the only one I trust. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I don't know if there's a, if there's anything to do with me being gay that that makes me more connected to the female characters but um you know like I, I i think i've talked about this in the past i think on this podcast like i've never seen deliverance and i'll probably never see it because like there's no women in it um at least not in any like the important roles so i, I but i don't know what that's about and uh i would love to if you if you have a thought if you have a similar nuance about things i'd love to hear about it 
Um, you can, of course, drop me an email in the details pod at gmail.com, or you can hit me up on Twitter at Colin Drucker. I'm not ending. I know that's like what I say at the end of the podcast. I just wanted to insert that now in case you wanted to remember to reach out to me to talk about your own relationship with women in horror movies. That being said, uh, what that also reminded me of was and made me think about was uh, the, the idea that I go back to again and again and again. And what I think that this podcast is really kind of like built on the foundation of is that is that whole thing of archiving and archiving as a young queer boy. And it's this whole Bruce Valanche thing that he talks about on the episode of What's the Tea he was on with you know RuPaul and Michelle. I, I just I don't know why I just keep I bring that up about as much as I bring up Beatrice Strait, which, you know, it, say her name. It's worth mentioning Beatrice Strait in every episode. But um, I, I bring it up all the time because I just think that like the first time I heard that episode and I heard him talking about that, it was like, oh, my God, like you have put you have put a name to something that I just knew as as reality for so much of my life like I didn't have a label for what that was I didn't know it was a thing it was just what I was doing I didn't think I was special I didn't think I was like better than everybody I just didn't know I wasn't alone you know and I think that that time of my life and why I'm so grateful that I I didn't have um such like my parents I my mom would I think she would try to like you know uh be careful about like what I was renting and, and be aware of like what I was watching, what was in it. And then I think after a while, I don't know, maybe she just decided it wasn't a hill worth dying on. I, I can tell you now years later that I don't think any of the violence or the boobs that I saw in horror movies of that age had any effect on me clearly because I have no interest in either. So <laughs> there you go. And so, um, but I, I really I'm grateful for the that freedom because I got to just archive all of these references and all of these ideas and all of these um, these nuances, for lack of another word, uh, that I think just kind of went into the fabric. You know, it just kind of became part of who I was. And there was no like intention. Like I wasn't watching these movies and like wanting to draw something specifically from them. I just kind of naturally was. And you know, I think back to some of the stuff I saw, like I think about there's there's this like Canadian horror movie called Visiting Hours with Lee Grant. And she's, I think she's like a TV reporter or something. In any event, she like gets attacked by this like killer and she survives and then she goes to the hospital and then he goes to the hospital to like finish the job. And like the last, you know, 20 minutes of the movie is him chasing her around the hospital. And let me tell you, Oscar nominee slash winner Lee Grant as a final, final woman, let's be real, in a horror movie is... That's a gift, That's, and it's and Canadian. I mean, uh, I I don't I don't know if you know this, but I love I love anything Canadian. I love Canadians. I just have this like affinity. They, I'm just like, ugh. I think there's something there's something good up there. Uh, obviously, except for the weather. So, but but I think that like seeing that in in high school, whatever age that I was kind of doing all of this archiving, I feel like it was probably like ages like eleven or twelve through like sixteen. I think. Not to get all sad, but, like, when we had to put the family dog to sleep, I think it changed my relationship with death, and I could no longer, like, watch horror movies and, like, write, like, horror kind of stories, because I was writing lots of stories as well, like, um, and books and whatnot when I was that age, and it was like, oh, I can't write about this anymore, death is real, but, you know, I think that, like, me now being 33, I love that I, I love that I knew who Lee Grant was to some extent when I was 16, you know what I mean? God, this other movie that I 
think I want to talk about on this podcast. Uh, there's this movie called Class Reunion Massacre. It's also known as like The Redeemer. It, it, it's about like these six different people who all get invited to a supposed class reunion at their old high school. And it all turns out to be this kind of like trap by somebody has set, you know, to, to get vengeance on each of them for what they did to him in high school. And they're, they're trapped in the school and he's hunting them down and each of them represents a different deadly sin. And there's also this like larger, like frame story about like, I don't, I don't even know. I, I don't quite understand the larger frame story, but there's like more going on than just like people being killed in, in an abandoned school. I don't know if it's a great movie. It's a really good movie. It's, I really like the characters. Like I, I feel really sad when they each get killed. Like the two of them are gay. There's a lesbian and a gay guy. Uh, the, the character who's the, you know, kind of the, the slut, you know, who's, who's always kind of made out to be the obvious victim that you don't really like. And you kind of like, I don't know what appeals to us about seeing somebody get killed, but that's kind of what these movies create is this sense of like, oh, I can't wait to see her die. You gotta really question that. But in any event, this the character that that archetype in this movie is so likable. And and the actress who plays her is so good. I can't remember her name. She plays um she I I knew her mostly from the movie Ladybugs. <laughs> Which is like, you know, because I had HBO as a kid and um, that used to be on it all the time. And it's where Jonathan Brandis dresses up in really crappy drag so that he can be on Rodney Dangerfield's all-girls soccer team. Uh, anyway, she plays like Rodney Dangerfield's boss's wife. And uh, and she's great. Like, she's a really good actress, but she's so good in this movie, too, in uh, Class Reunion Massacre. And I feel like... Um, I feel like that, the, that nuance of the fact that she is actually really good and is really likable and that there's all of this kind of like, like finding that performance and, and being able to kind of pluck that out of this weird movie called Class Reunion Massacre is, uh, I think is something, again, that I'm still, I'm, I'm doing now, you know? And so I've probably said this before, but, you know, it bears repeating that like, in so many ways, I think doing in the details is like reclaiming this part of myself that um, I forgot I had. You know what I mean? And uh, it, now I'm just doing it, you know, in the ears of a whole bunch of people, which is great. On that topic, now thank you for letting me go on for as long as that was. Um, one of the other movies that I also saw during that time, or I think I probably saw a bunch of these, was there's this genre of Italian thrillers called giallo, which is, you know, a, a yellow in Italian. Um, I'm probably not pronouncing it correctly. I feel like whenever I have to put on a bit of an accent, I'm like, nope, I won't do it. I'm sorry, I won't do it. I just, I'm, I would rather say croissant than croissant. You know what I mean? I'm just not going to do it. Uh, so if I'm saying giallo wrong, uh, it's probably like giallo, but I'm, you know, giallo. These these very stylized thrillers from, you know, probably starting in like the late 60s, early 70s, going into maybe the early 80s. And uh, there was one that, you know, they all they all end up having like seven different titles and different, you know, edits and different, you know, things that are cut out of it. But there's one from, I believe it's 1971. The original title is The Strange Vice of Mrs. Ward. And I think I saw it, I found it on VHS during that era of archiving. Um, it was called like Next Victim. And I don't know why I rented it. I don't know what appealed to me about it. I remember the VHS box being like nothing special, but maybe it was just like, well, you got to pick something, you know? And it's, uh, I mean, I won't, the, the movie itself is not really like what I'm keen to talk about. It's, it's actually not a bad movie. It's interesting. It's, uh, 
you know, it's about this woman who's like cheating on her husband. And then there's someone who's, you know, there's a, there's a murderer who's, you know, killing women. And I think there's, you know, who, who's, who's doing it? Is she next? Is she the next victim? Will the strange vice of Mrs. Ward lead to her demise? You know, one of those things. What I wanted to talk about though, specifically is the soundtrack to the strange vice of Mrs. Ward, AKA next victim. I, I think maybe I saw this, maybe I was like 13, maybe 12, I don't remember. And I was obsessed with this soundtrack. Like, I remember, you know, especially the the song that plays over the final credits, which don't worry, I'm going to play it for you. Uh, I remember just like rewinding the tape and just watching it over and over. I would try to just remember what the the melody was so I could play it in my head so that I could remember it. And then I remember forgetting it and trying to find it again. It was, it's crazy now that I have like such access to it now and where I found it recently. And this is kind of tying into uh, some of what I want to talk about today, which is of course some fun things on YouTube I want to bring your attention to. One of the things, I don't know how I stumbled onto this, but uh, I guess this is a thing that people will do. They'll kind of like, I guess it's like hold you. It's like a vinyl rip. So of course it's you know it's the the vinyl recording of a soundtrack that I don't know why still sounds really good when you when you post it as a YouTube video. It's you totally hear the difference. I don't know if this is just because I've now lived in Brooklyn for a little over a year and becoming the cliche of the Brooklynite the same way that like when when I lived in California. It wasn't long before I was doing yoga, eating vegan, and drinking, like, way too much kombucha. Like, I don't think you need to drink as much as people are drinking it, but that's a whole other bag of beans. We can talk about that another time. Um, anyway, I, I am recommending this just to go, like, it was such, like, a fun thing to find, and I feel like going into, I mean, you could be listening to this episode whenever, but I'm recording it just as we're kind of, like, leaving summer and getting into fall there's something so cozy to me about the way that like music sounds on vinyl and like you know i don't know i picture like my apartment on like a cozy a cozy a cozy saturday evening you know all indirect lighting i don't turn the overhead lights on maybe there's a candle or two maybe i'm maybe i've made some rice crispy treats you know maybe something like that and you know, playing some kind of vinyl recording of something. And I don't know, like that all just seems so comfy. And I I guess that's just what happens is seasonally you start to crave things that are comfy. Uh, does anyone else think that vinyl sounds comfy? I think it sounds really like just, it sounds so warm and like rich and, and deep. And I am, I'm, I'm glad to have discovered something that like generations of people are like, yeah, we know. We know we we're like decades ahead of you, sweetheart. You know, <laughs> and so if you want to find this, I mean, since this is all YouTube tidbits, there's a channel. This guy's name is Alan Miller, 
and he's got you know a whole bunch of these posted. That's a great place to start. Um, I I highly recommend it if you're into movie soundtracks or you're just into vinyl, or you just want to like hear the difference. Uh, I think it's it's a fun little thing to find. The other YouTube tidbit, which is you know veering off uh, Jello thrillers and vinyl soundtracks and and movies in general, this is going in a totally different direction than in the details usually goes, but. It's the name of this episode, and it, it, it should be talked about, because I feel like this is also a thing that I archived as a kid. I watched a lot of horror movies, and I watched a lot of infomercials. And lately, I have been—I think this is a thing that a lot of us do, is that there's, like, stuff that you go to bed watching or really, like, listening to. You know, for me, it's been, it's been The Golden Girls, it's been The Office, it's been Nurse Jackie— it's been uh, it's been podcasts, you know. It's what it has to be is something familiar and something that isn't going to have too many like, you know, explosive changes of of atmosphere and you know not much yelling and you know the office is great because there's kind of just this this general office drone feeling that they kind of permeate throughout. Like if you really listen, there's always that background noise of papers and phones and and you know, the clicks of calculators and things like that. And it's very lulling. And it's also like, I've seen the office so many times that the familiarity is also like, I don't have to pay attention, you know, but I still enjoy it. And so lately my, um, my, my bedtime companion has been none other than infomercial queen, Kathy Mitchell, and specifically the early nineties infomercial for the revolutionary micro crisp. Hi, welcome to Cooking with Kathy. I'm Kathy Mitchell. Now you've probably seen me in a lot of kitchens, but today we're at my house in my actual kitchen and we're going to learn how to use one of the most unique kitchen products I've ever found, micro crisp. This is going to change the way you cook with your microwave forever. Now, what is Microcrisp, you may be wondering. Microcrisp is, it's like if you've ever had a Mama Celeste pizza, and you know it, it comes with that little, like, silver tray that you put it on when you put it in the microwave because it'll make it crispy. This is like that, as but it's like a, 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 a roll. It's a sheet of this paper. Here we are in this, like, early 1990s kitchen. She's got her shaker cabinets. She's got her, like... You know, we redid the kitchen in 1986, countertops and, and appliances. She's wearing this this big pink apron over her little sort of green two-piece pantsuit. Casual, you know, comfy. But she's wearing this big pink apron that says Micro Crisp on it. And it looks like one of those things they throw on you at the dentist's office when you're getting your teeth x-rayed. The reality is you don't need an apron for the Micro Crisp. You don't need an apron for things you're cooking in the microwave. Like, it's a real irony. And it really just goes to the fact that, like, Kathy, you know you're conning us. You know that doesn't taste good. You know this. You and I both know that doesn't taste good. You and I both know that that potato is still crunchy. It's not, it's not a smooth baked potato. This isn't, this isn't Wendy's. Like, you, you can't cook that in the microwave for five minutes just because you, you wrapped it in some, you know, some paper with a lining of God knows what. And who knows what that's leaching into your food. And she's and she's testing this all out or she's demonstrating all of this on like what is essentially now some like low rent Hamilton Beach microwave that you would buy for your first like, you know, college dorm room. Kathy Mitchell, she is a she's the queen of infomercials, as I mentioned earlier. She has she 
has sold a Turbo Express cooker. She has sold the... Oh, she sold a bunch of those. I feel like she sold different iterations of those. Um, she's infamous for her... Her term, not mine. Dump dinners. Dump desserts. Because you just dump it all in the bowl or in the pan. And then you cook it. I, I just think there's so many other alliterations than dump dinners. You know? I'm just... I don't know. That word just doesn't, like, get my appetite going. The whole idea of Micro Crisp, in case you're wondering, in case you really want to know the magic behind this, is that I guess... This paper changes the microwaves into some other kind of waves. This special material actually changes the microwaves into thermal energy. So it actually creates a little mini oven around your food. Now, since that oven does get hot, you'll always want to use the special micro crisp rack. Ordinary microwave cookware is not designed to withstand the heat that the micro crisp creates. That cooks your food better. Gets a sear on that sirloin, you know? But it's always, with Kathy, she always likes to, she, she frames it as, because I think she's, you know, trying to talk to a target audience. And the target audience, of course, is like the busy mom. And so there's always the, the scenario of like, This is great for when your kids come home starving from school. And there's always the implication that like your starving kids or your starving husband are just like hangry and impatient and like that you are you're sweating like this is like a great british bake-off and you're just trying to like finish with enough time or no that would be too pleasant this is like a chopped situation and you're you're like oh my god this is it this is my this is my moment to prove myself thank god for micro crisp i'll just you know i'll just put this fish in the microwave which i don't care what you wrap it in do not ever put fish in the microwave ugh Anyway, that's just a PSA, especially if you work in an office. I feel like we all know this. I knew a guy, it was like my first job out of college. He used to put fish in the microwave. And I was like, well, you, no class, no manners, you know? And so I don't, I don't know why Microcrisp became a thing to watch at bedtime. Actually, I guess I do know because it, was, it showed up in my kind of like video. I don't know why it showed up, actually. Let's just be honest. I don't know why it's in my life, but I'm not mad at it. And... Uh, I was watching it one day because I've watched I've watched it more than once, of course. But then I was like reading the comments and, you know, it's always nice to find the community of like other people who watch these videos. And somebody had said, I watch this every night to go to bed, you know, and I think maybe someone else did, too. And like commented that and like said, oh, yeah, me, too. And then I think somebody else under that commented and said, oh, my God, you're such a weirdo or some, you know, some judgment. And I was like, "Ugh, you're not my people. But as soon as I read that, I was like. It was like, it was like I suddenly, my eyes were suddenly very heavy. You know what I mean? Like all of a sudden I was really sleepy. It had this hypnotic effect of like, oh yeah, micro crisp as a bedtime video changed everything. Like I, I didn't realize until somebody said that, that this was the perfect thing to go to bed to. And I have since then, I mean, it's like, it's almost an hour long. It doesn't, you know. It, it doesn't go anywhere uh, unexpected if you've watched for a few minutes. Like, it's the same. It's just watching her cook different things. And you're not really – she's talking the whole time, you know, and she's making kind of ambient noises, but you're not hearing any chewing sounds. You know, in this day and age, you don't even have to own a rolling pin to do any baking. Like, my mother thinks this is the way to make apple pie. But these have to bake in a 475-degree oven for 25 minutes and who wants to wait that long for dessert? Micro crisp for the rescue. I sent her a box and she loves it. 
Now, not only do you not need a rolling pin to bake, you don't even need an oven. Now, remember, when you're cooking a raw dough, you want to spray a little bit of Pam on that microcrisp. And we're going to use what we call an airplane wrap at our house. Lay that guy down on there. This works great for anything that's triangular. Fold in the corners like you're making a little paper airplane. And then I recommend this highly if you are if you are somebody who goes to bed to things. Um, I wonder if this has the same effect for you. So the good news about talking about microcrisp, but that means that I can talk about more infomercials and in the details because I have a complex relationship with Ron Popeil that we haven't even gone into, and we won't today. Um, I'm going to take us back as we continue to talk about it. Just a couple more fun little YouTube tidbits. These are probably a bit more on, you know, on brand, so to speak, for in the details. But there is one of the movies that I saw in that archiving era was the... I mean, title alone is just, like, perfect. It's Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, uh, which has nothing to do with the original Prom Night, which is one of the, you know, early 1980s Jamie Lee Curtis final girl slashers. Uh, Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, it's, you know, it's sort of a, a possession kind of movie. And I I don't remember much about it. I, rem I remember, like, flashbulb things, but... The one thing that I always held on to, and then of course found the clip again recently, is this interaction between the our sort of protagonist Vicky and she and one of her other friends. I think someone has died. Someone who is up for homecoming queen or prom queen, excuse me, because it's prom night, has died. Her friend, and uh, I think she's you know not taking it well. And then the the kind of the, the bitch the bully of the movie she kind of saunters by i think she's in the running to be prom queen i think she's feeling pretty good about you know her chances now and vicky's this very kind of like sweet you know innocent blonde she's the type of character you're like oh okay she's she's the good one i think maybe she gets possessed later i don't remember but in any event uh this moment oh that's fine guys just fine Looks pretty well hung to me. Don't touch the queen. He'd be the first who didn't. The competition seems to be dwindling. You two should take the hint from Jess. You shut your fucking mouth, bitch! I remember the first time I saw that and I was like, I'm sorry, wait, what? That delivery. You shut your fucking mouth, bitch! This would be a perfect clip in like a lip sync a performance. Like if she if she answered the phone and that's what she like said in response, you know how a lip sync a performance works. I, this you know that she's if you don't know if you're not uh, lip sync is this you know famous drag queen that one of her sort of iconic numbers is that there'd just be invisible telephones that she would answer on stage and each phone call was like uh, it was a clip from a different movie. It was always some campy reference from an old you know melodramatic movie or was often a lot of uh, Mommy Dearest references. She did a lot of Mommy Dearest stuff, a lot of Joan Crawford stuff. And so I you know I, I, I want to talk about lip sync maybe another time because to me, and this is a total tangent, but her performances, her invisible telephone performances, are are an example of archiving. All of that's just archives. Most of those references, when I watch like clips of like old you know performances of hers, I don't know those references, and it's really exciting. It's like, oh, what have you archived? What is this? That to me feels like a, a little gay boy who's now grown up to continue doing what he did as a kid of archiving. Anyway, the last little let's say archive or little tidbit I want to share with you today is. 
maybe related to this clip, maybe related to nothing, maybe just related to the fact that, like, you know who I haven't talked about enough on this podcast? And it's not Beatrice Strait. I could never talk about her too much, uh, or enough for that matter. Um, I have not talked enough about Brenda Vaccaro on this podcast, and I need you to know, 11 episodes in, that, like, I love Brenda Vaccaro. I feel like that is, and part of it is, because one of my favorite movies as a kid was Airport 77. And I think that probably imprinted some things. But I think that she, with like the raspy voice, and she's, you know, she's a great actress, but it's like the raspy voice, the way that she kind of carries herself. I think that if I were a drag queen, that would be like the closest to what I would be like. I would essentially be Brenda Vaccaro. And I, I just have no, I have no problem with that. This is just a little, you know, this little amuse bouche, if you will. This is Brenda Vaccaro. When she was in Supergirl, which I have not seen. I've really only seen this clip, but I think the clip on YouTube is called Brenda Vaccaro Screams. And uh, just so you know that she's uh, she's confronting a very pissed off Faye Dunaway in this moment who um, puts her in her place. I think I'll be going if you'll excuse me. what i said i'm staying i'm staying it's so bad it's it just swings back around again to great it's just i'm staying i'm staying like and that scream that awful scream like nobody was like hey brenda like oscar nominee brenda vaccaro let's let's see if we get something a little bit more like um a little more pathos you know (laughs) but i'm not gonna judge it again i think that scream that little clip i would i would also if i were like lip synca I would answer the phone and I would just have ah! and then maybe answer another phone and say that's what I said I'm staying I'm staying anyway I'm like planning Lip Sync's career for her maybe I just need to like answer my own invisible telephones which to be honest I like that's like uh, cause I have like you know I, I have a bucket list you know I want to play I want to play with a baby elephant I want to have a lie down seat on an airplane I want to have an island counter in my kitchen and I think that at some point because I've never done drag except for when I would like play dress up as a kid um I would love to do like a lip sync kind of performance I just think that would be that would just be like an, like like honoring the archiving of my childhood so who knows maybe Maybe I've just come up with an idea on this podcast. Maybe we've all together given birth to an interesting idea um, for something I'll do next. I don't know, maybe on YouTube. (laughs) That being said, I think that's everything I wanted to talk to you about today. Uh, And so I hope that was interesting to you. I hope you want more of these kinds of episodes because I am more than happy to dive into my YouTube favorites list and say, okay, here's something that I've had on my list for like eight years. I think you need to all see this. Can we talk about it? So if that's something you're into, let me know. Drop me an email at inthedetailspod at gmail.com. Let me know what YouTube treasures you love that you want me to check out. If you're on Twitter, you can tw- you can follow me at Colin Drucker. You can, uh, I guess you could DM me if you want. I, I still don't know if I have to follow you back, which I have no problem with. I just want you to know that you can reach out to me whenever you fucking want. That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, why did I say fucking? Why was I so mean about it? <laughs> anyway. Um, oh, and, and I won't curse about this, but if you want to head over to iTunes, thank you to everyone who's left a review and a five-star rating. I can't even tell you how it just, like, makes my little heart skip two beats. Makes me so happy when I see, oh, oh, people are enjoying this. Oh, that's great. So if you want to, if you want to share that wealth, feel free. Um, otherwise, I will be back next week to celebrate more acting choices, more micro moments, and more nuances in the details. Thanks, everyone. Bye.